Hello and welcome to the Inside Ellen Road podcast. This is episode 90. I'm Graham Smith. I'm here with Joe Arkett to talk about all things whites. After a very, very good win at Goodison Park against Carlo Ancelotti's Everton. Joe, that was a fine game of football and it was apparent after around 60 seconds that it was going to be a fine game of football. Yeah, it was... um... I think we spoke last week quite a bit about it being sort of open, but I don't I don't know if anyone was expecting it to be that open that quickly. I think we always know that how leads are going to play, but you, you always think that games take a little while to sort of develop into a pattern. But like you said, I think within a minute there was a shot on goal and you thought this this could be this could be a really good game and it turned out to be that way. I suppose probably not if you're from an Everton persuasion because you're on the wrong end of, of a result, but I thought leads were I mean, we try. I was thinking we try and say this quite a lot, but I think that's probably the best performance of the season, is it not? It absolutely is the best performance of the season, and just such an enjoyable game. I mean, I think I think I predicted two-two, and it could have easily been two-two. It probably more easily could have been four-two to Leeds United, because they were better. They created so many chances, and yes, Everton had a. Uh, a couple of goals chalked off for offside. Um, I just think Leeds caused them so many problems in the final third that it, it should be really encouraging, I think, to Leeds fans that when a team does try and play against Leeds, it really does play into their hands. And, and I think the Premier League being what it is, you'll find, I think you'll find very few teams who normally play an open style changing it to go defensive against Leeds because they, they back their own players and they back their own ethos and philosophy and they think, well, why should we change our style? So they're quite happy to go toe-to-toe uh, and it just makes for really good football matches and, and that was that was one of them. Um, and and it, I don't know, it it always felt like a good result was, was very possible right from the off. It just it felt to me like Leeds... It didn't look like one of those games where Leeds were going to be frustrated. It looked like a game where they were going to get joy. Um, let's talk about the team selection first. I thought Rodrigo might come in. He didn't. Bielsa stuck with Alioski, and he essentially had a left back, a left midfielder, and a left winger on that side. Uh, whereas they had kind of a right back and a right winger on, on the other side. Um, what did you make of the team selection? Were you surprised not to see the, the transfer record signing come into the side now that he's presumably fully fit? I suppose we shouldn't be surprised um, about any decision Marcelo Bielsa makes, should we? We should know better now, but I think I was a little bit. Um, just given that he'd, he'd played 45 minutes in the under-23s, he looked sharp and I thought, you know that the, the creative spark was sort of needed, but then on the same sort of tone of breath that Alioski played very, very well the week before. So it would have been extremely harsh to also drop him. So you could kind of see both arguments, but I, I probably was with you on that. I thought he would start, and um, I was quite surprised when it when it sort of came out that he wasn't. But I think with the way that. Everton stood off Calvin Phillips and you just said there about overloading on on different wings 
it played completely into how Leeds United wanted to sort of impose their imprint on the game, I guess, and, and style. And I just thought that it was absolutely criminal what, what Everton did with Phillips. They basically just let him run the game. And you were thinking at half-time, you were thinking that there's no way they can let that carry on. And then they just did. There was no one pressing him. He was just drilling the ball where he wanted. He had so much time and space to do what he wanted. And like you say, when you've got options on either wing and you're overloading full-backs, it's, it's sort of just a, a recipe for disaster on the, on the opposition. Um, I just couldn't, like, even watching it back, I, I was watching it in real time thinking, I can't believe they're doing this. Watching it back, I was saying it again to myself. It was incredible. I don't know what you made of it in the ground, but it just felt like, because the, the camera's quite high up at, at Goodison Park, you could see all the space that Phillips had every single time he got the ball, and you were just staggered that no one was pressing him. It was just, I couldn't believe it. I don't feel uh, particularly qualified to talk about Calvin Phillips' performance after I gave him 8 out of 10 <laughs> in my on-the-whistle ratings. I'm just going to address that quickly. Uh, firstly, they're just ratings, don't get upset. Secondly, they're compiled on the whistle, having watched the match with one eye, written a match report with the other eye, and uh, live-tweeted for a hungry audience on Twitter at the same time. Um, so there are things that you miss, and there are, I find as well, that my first viewing of a game can be skewed by an incident that that I kind of attach significance to that's maybe not quite there. Like there was a moment when it might have been Alan, or Alan as we call him in Northern Ireland, uh, nipped the ball over Calvin Phillips' head, and he was away. Everton were off to the races through the middle of the pitch, and Leeds looked really exposed all of a sudden. And I think there was maybe only two times in the game when they kind of, two or three times when they got round Phillips, got past him and and Leeds looked in a little bit of bother for a second or two. And I think I let that grow in my head into more of an issue than it ever really was. Because when I watched the game back, he just looked so in control, just so composed. You know, it was the little calm passes to get Leeds out of pressure points. And then the balls that he was drilling over the top of defenders' heads to the left and to the right, particularly to Harrison. I mean, I lost count of the times he went to Harrison when uh, Harrison was on the right. Um, just time and time and time again. You, you know, when when Calvin did that interview and he talked about, my first thought is to give the ball to Pablo. Well, his first thought was to give the ball to Jack Harrison against Everton. And uh, Iwobi just was completely lost. I mean, we did... It was kind of part of the pre-game narrative that uh, they, they'd lost their wing-backs, Everton, and Iwobi was going to have to play there. And you could see very early on that defensively he, he just wasn't up to the task because Harrison kept getting in behind him and Leeds were creating quite a lot down that side. Um, yeah, Calvin, Calvin's performance was superb. So good, in fact, that we've had pundits trying to sell him off to Liverpool Um See, Garth Crooks is Garth Crooks has taken up the uh, the challenge of trying to get Calvin a move from uh, from Elland Road. Um, you know, our own columnist uh, Dominic Matteo believes that Phillips is on a level with Kante and Fabinho, and, and I think Calvin has to play at the level he played at on Saturday a few more times before you can start to put him in kind of world class. But the potential is is absolutely there, and the signs are that. But what we saw in the championship, when we believed he was a Premier League ready player, um, 
were spot on and that he absolutely is a, a Premier League player and a, an international player. And you just wonder, don't you, with Southgate watching that game, did the thought enter his head, maybe I should give Calvin this kind of role for England? Do you think he thought that? Well, if he wasn't, he should have been because it's, it's sort of criminal that the way the way that England set out is quite negative at the moment, and obviously it's not an England podcast, so we don't have to get into it too much. But there is absolutely um, enough creative players at his disposal to hand Calvin that role at international level, at least in a couple of games, to see whether he's up to task. Obviously, it's a bit of a shame that he was injured for the last international break because maybe it was something that that was crossing his mind. But I think playing with two defensive or two defensive minded midfielders is just it, it just don't think it helps Calvin. Um, I don't think it allows him to dictate as much. So it's definitely something that, that he needs to look at. And, and, and like you say, it's perfect that he was there to watch that because it just showed sort of all every aspect that he can bring to that position and could potentially bring to to England's side where you know they've got an abundance of attacking players and to have Calvin in that role next summer at the Euros with you know the likes of Grealish etc ahead of him would be um would be a fantastic thought so it can only help Calvin Phillips that he if he can consistently put in performances like that but again we mentioned it before I just couldn't believe the way that Everton let him do what he wanted it was criminal almost as a even just watching on, I think even as a if, if I was an Everton fan watching it, I'd be furious because it was so obvious from like 10, 15 minutes in that he was just, every time he was getting the ball, he was just dictating it, he was switching the play, he was changing the sort of aspects of the attacks. And it was, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. There just no one was pressing him. And when they eventually sort of did, they were just a second behind him and Calvin's composure on the ball just allowed him to, to get away anyway. So just a, a top class performance, but, a bit criminal as well at the same time from from Ancelotti not to try and put someone on him. Not as criminal as giving him eight out of ten. Um, <laughs> yeah, on, on reflection, I think if ever there was a nine point five performance, that was that was probably it. But we don't give half marks. I don't know why we don't give half marks. We just don't give half marks, and we don't really give tens either. Um, I remember when I started doing player ratings at Workshop Town, which is when I think about it, hilarious that. You know, I was asked to rate the performance out of 10 of a part-time player, you know, just doing his best (laughs) for 50 quid a week. Um, Really harsh. But I was always told, never give out 10s. And you think, well, what if what if a player plays the perfect game? No, 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 don't don't give out a 10. Um, I think your predecessor only ever gave one. I might be incorrect, but I think it was just one, and that was for Ross McCormack, and he's because he scored four times at Charlton. And I think if, if someone scores four times, I think you could probably give him a ten out of ten. But yeah. what if a what if what if a goalkeeper makes four really good saves and gets a clean sheet? Does he not deserve a ten? This is this is my thing. We could we'll talk about this now. Actually, I was going to talk about Jack Harrison and how people define his performance on the misses, and they say. It wasn't his best game. And, and, a, and a lot of the reason behind that is that he missed a sitter. He hit the post with a header and he had a shot cleared off the line. So he could have had a hat-trick. Uh, he was very unlucky not to have a hat-trick. And I, I think that while he was wasteful for the first chance, didn't do a lot wrong for the other two. He won his header, got it on target, it hit the post. 
He kept his shot down and beat Jordan Pickford and had it cleared off the line for the third one. So if you're going to define his performance based on that and say it wasn't a good performance, firstly, I think it's harsh. But do we put too much value on the the act of scoring a goal? Or is it because games are won and lost in both boxes that actually you should be giving huge value to those actions? I think I think it's obvious that people give value to what win and lose is games, don't they? So if you make a huge mistake, you could you could have had a fantastic game as a central defender, played really well for 89 minutes and then slip in the last minute or give the ball away and suddenly your mark could get halved, wouldn't it? Because it's it's lost the game. Or it's the same the other way around, I suppose. And people remember those big chances. So I guess I guess it is there is a lot of waiting to be had on how players impact the games in the big moments. I think that the first the first miss from Harrison, I think everyone thinks he should have scored. But yeah, I understand what you're saying because other than that, he had a very good game. But I think a lot of people will have, have seen that missed chance and thought, hmm, that's something he can prove on. Absolutely, but it doesn't mean he had an awful game. But it just means he can improve and get better. But yeah, I think if you're talking about ratings in particular, there's definitely a waiting to sort of how people impact games and the result, for sure. Um, yeah, to be honest, if Harrison had scored a hat-trick, I think I would have had to have given him a 10. Because I really <laughs> liked I really liked everything else he did. It wasn't just getting on the end of those chances. He He was in the right position so many times. He was always available. And being always available doesn't just mean you're willing and brave enough to take possession under pressure. It means making yourself free. And the amount of work he put in to make himself free on Saturday, darting in and out, coming off his line, um, forwards and backwards, just little runs to get enough space. And yes, he wasn't really being tracked properly by an out-of-his-depth wing back, but you can only beat what's in front of you. And Harrison's work rate, I thought, was absolutely remarkable. It was a really, really good performance for me. Um, But Rafinha kind of took the headlines because he scored his first goal and it was a really, really lovely goal. But actually, that goal doesn't get scored if Harrison doesn't close down when Pickford's got the ball so that Pickford has to go long. Robin Robin Koch wins the ball. It goes to the right-hand side again and Harrison plays a couple of nice passes, makes himself free to to receive a return ball from Ailing, I think it was, and then he slides the ball across to Rafinha, who then does the rest. So Harrison had a huge part to play in the goal. Um, I just think it was a great performance from him. And in his 100th game for Leeds as well, which is an incredible statistic. 100 games having never been a permanent signing at the club. I'll just go back to a little bit before. So what did you give Patrick Bamford at Aston Villa? Uh, that's a good question. Um I don't know. I'd have to look. Maybe, maybe nine. Yeah, maybe I nine. don't think you gave him a ten. No, so no. We're obviously, calling for a ten that night. But I'm trying to think. There's, there's obviously the. It's that another nine and a half because there was there was a couple of chances in the first half that he probably would have liked to have done better with. But then he does at the same time score three goals, two of which are probably world class. Yeah, uh, I can't quite recall. What I um, what I gave him, but uh, yes, I give him nine. Uh, and this is and this is what I said: a poacher's goal, and then two of real class. Could have had five, 
was always right where he needed to be, battled manfully against a tough central defence. You can't give tens, and 9.5s don't exist, but they should for that performance. Maybe, maybe I need to just bring in a 9.5, and you know, if they sack me, so be it. This is the hill you're willing to die on. Um, <laughs> it's just interesting because, obviously, like Bamford, the, basically the only reason he's not got a 10 is because he should have scored five. But how often do strikers <laughs> five goals? <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, Patrick. I know, I know you're happy with the match ball, but are you really happy? Because <laughs> five goals out there today for you. Um, <laughs> what I like, though, about Patrick Bamford and what I like about the way Marcelo Bielsa thinks about Patrick Bamford is that Patrick Bamford is getting in the right place to score and he's, his movement is good enough to free himself of attention so that he gets on the final action and he's, a, he's the kind of focal point of the attack. And what I like about Bamford's thinking is that he backs himself to score the next one. So even if he misses two, like he did against Villa, to come back from missing those two and score three, and three of the quality that he scored. I mean, the second one was ridiculous. The third one was even better, albeit aided by some shoddy defending. Um, I think it's, it shows remarkable strength of character and, and confidence in your own abilities to do that. And when you think of the stick that he took last season for, yes, he missed a lot of chances. He was he was guilty of wastefulness last season um, as he top scored for Leeds United when they won the championship title. Um he took a lot of flack, but kept coming back from it. And um, we, we've talked about it a few times about him being a streaky striker. And I honestly did not foresee him scoring seven goals in the first 10 games of a Premier League season. But he can be very, very pleased, can't he? With it. I mean, maybe not, maybe not a perfect start to the season because he probably could have 12 goals, um, 13 maybe even. But you've got to be happy with seven from 10. Yeah, I think he'll be delighted with that. But I know he's, he's talked in the past that he's always quite self-critical and, and <laughs> we're joking there about your, your rating, you know, and basically saying he should have scored five. But that's exactly what he and Bielsa will have analysed afterwards. We know that. We've, we've heard it from players. People like Matthias Click, I think, what was it, last week, where he said, um, is Bielsa demanding? And he said, yeah, it doesn't matter how well you play, you can basically always improve. And that's exactly what. It will have come away. He'll have scored three goals that night, but Bielsa will have still been <laughs> hammering him at the patch stage. Well, you could have done this better, you could have done that better. And I suppose it's that striving for greatness, isn't it, that will drive him on. But he has had a phenomenal start to the season. Um, I mean, you could say he probably should have scored um, at Everton. You know, he probably had the best chance of the game, really, um, when Pickford saved from him early on. So, I think there was an element of frustration there for him. But I think the way that he's adapted, um, I think we've also has talked about it previously as well that you know the the lack of crowds maybe is is an aspect that that is helping or you know we we don't know that for sure but his start to the season I don't think anyone probably predicted really uh, he's not the only one who should have scored Matthias Click who has kind of made a few jokes about it on social media he could have scored in each of his last two He's had chances. He kind of arrives, times his run really well, arrives late on the edge of the box, uh, gets a pass, and then he's, at the minute he's just scooping it over or, or leaning back or something's not quite going right. Um, he did curl one, a really nice effort, just past the post, which was um, 
which was unlucky, I guess. But um, he's he's so due a goal that it's gonna it's got to arrive sooner rather than later, hasn't it? A player with his ability to shoot from distance, in particular. Yeah, he made a joke, didn't he, on Instagram? What was he searching for? His shooting boots. Sh- shooting boots for men. <laughs> it's just brilliant, isn't it? That that sums him sums him up as a character. But yeah, I think there'll be. Um, there'll be an element of frustration there because um, I think he'll feel like he, he needs to contribute a few more. You know, that goal at Liverpool was was fantastic, but I think I don't think it's it's just a Matthias Click thing. I think it's a general thing that Leeds have always needed more goals from behind um, and out wide. And um, I think all of them in that regard um, need to sort of improve and pull up their socks so to speak because I think that there's plenty of goals to be had from behind Bamford. Bamford's obviously carried a sort of heavy load so far this season and Rafinha has shown you know on Saturday that he's he's got a decent shot in him hasn't he so hopefully that not just Click but all of them can sort of start contributing a bit more consistently. Alvin Phillips should be scoring more goals really for me. Um <laughs> Quite remarkable. Isn't it, isn't it remarkable the things that pop into people's heads when they're talking about football and being paid to do so? Yeah, that was um, I kind of, I don't even, I don't think I was drinking, but if I was drinking I would have spat it out when Graham Sooner said that. But I, there was a few people who tweeted me back after I made a little joke about it um, after the game on Saturday saying, well, you know, there's there is stuff he can improve on. It was like, yeah, absolutely. There's always stuff any player can improve on. Calvin said that post-match. But I think like picking out um, someone in a defensive midfield role for not scoring goals consistently is probably not one of them at this moment in time. Um, yeah, just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they don't want to go, I don't want to go too hard on hammering people. But you do, you do wonder the amount of research that goes into these sort of things and whether it's just that he's just said something a bit silly because he's, he's been caught off guard because he, he doesn't really know how else to criticise him. Because I suppose if you are looking at it after Saturday, that's probably the one area you could criticise Calvin on. But that's not, it's not his role in the team. He's there to you know, be the anchor, quarterback or whatever you want to call it, where... Some people lose their heads about using that phrase, but that is what he seems to be in that anchor role. And I don't think scoring from 35 yards every time he gets the ball is probably the highest on his list, to be honest. But to be honest, he's absolutely abysmal at overhead kicks. Um, and it's a, a big area of his game that, that really needs to improve. Um, let's talk about uh, the star boy then, Rafinha, the bargain. 17 million of your English pounds, Joe. And you, you can see... I was thinking about this earlier because um, I've, I've thought a lot since, we, since we've seen him arrive at Leeds. How much is this guy going to be worth come the end of the season? And then I've caught myself thinking, why, why do I think that? Why is that the first kind of barometer of success that, that it's his price tag? You know, how much is this guy going to be worth? Because really, if you're a Leeds fan, you don't want this guy to be sold. So his price tag should be as irrelevant as, as when you talk about... Because when you talk about Stuart Dallas, you very rarely hear, hear people say, oh, this guy's going to be worth so much money in a year's time. We've talked about him being priceless because of the unique attributes he has and the roles he plays for Leeds. Um, so talking about Rafinha's value, it's a compliment because you know he's going to be worth a lot. But it's kind of a, a bit of a backward way to think about a player's progress, isn't it? Yeah, I guess Leeds are still in... 
that weird phase of this is all quite new spending sort of hefty amounts of money in the transfer market as well. So there is an aspect of like they've spent 17 million. What, what, what gets you 17 million in the European market these days? And, and if the early signs are Rafinha, then, you know, they've spent very, very wisely there. But obviously we're, we're talking about a summer in which they've, they've broken the club's transfer record to get Rodrigo. So there is, probably still still an element of shock that leads us sort of back spending this money. Um, but he looks like a very shrewd piece of business. It was interesting that Orta said a couple of weeks ago that he'd been tracking him before he even joined Leeds, basically. You know, his scouting network had, had been following him for basically since he came, he went over to Portugal. Um, and obviously when the opportunity sort of came to, to sign him, you know, he couldn't turn it down. So I think that is... I suppose testament because we, I mean, it could be we could be here in six months' time, and he might not have been as successful as we think he might be. But at this current moment in time, he looks like a very, very good piece of business. And yeah, I suppose what you're saying about the transfer sort of element to it is is similar to when you're talking about someone like Calvin Phillips. Well, people might go, he he's a fifty million pound footballer now now that he's doing it in the Premier League. But like you said about Dallas. Phillips in that role under Bielsa for Leeds United is absolutely priceless. They've got no one else that can play that role to the same extent. So, yeah, he looks a very good buy. And it's interesting that he's already sort of shifted out Helder Costa. I think that's the biggest thing. And um, Calvin said that himself afterwards, that the way that he's integrated in the group's been really quick. Sort of, we haven't seen too much. Maybe Rodrigo's another that's sort of been on the same page where he's had an impact already in such a quick space of time. And every time he's come off the bench, he's looked really good. And now he's starting games. He's looking consistently good. So it only feels like there's improvement to be made. And then you have Ian Poveda coming off the bench and uh, making two defenders look really, really silly. I guess when you put on with like six minutes to go and you're a tricky, exciting winger, um, the expectation might be that you just you keep hold of the ball when you get it. You maybe take it in the corner. You you know you track back. You dig in, um, and you protect the clean sheet. I absolutely love the balls on Baveda to to get the ball to actually hear at least one shot from a teammate go in the corner. It wasn't just Bryn Law saying go in the corner. Um, one of his teammates told him to, and. I guess Everton just expected him to because that's the sensible thing to do. And then he just jinks and he's through. And he's got that... We're kind of seeing why Bielsa spoke about him as being a light, agile player because he's just like a little bug. He just slips in between gaps, you know, kind of hovers over the surface of the, the pitch um, and creates a chance that, that really should have finished it off as a 2-0 scoreline. Um it sums up Leeds United in the Premier League for me that, you know, there is, here you have two courses of action. One is pragmatic and it will guarantee you safety and, you know, the thing that you've set out to get. The other, a bit risky really, but, you know, it might look really good if it works. Um, and Leeds United take the uh, the road less travelled by and, and it's just so good to watch. Just Bielsa all over, isn't it? Attack and attack and attack until the final whistle goes, I guess. Or maybe you could just class class it under the naivety of youth. I don't know. It'll be one of the two, won't it? But Pavida's story is quite interesting, isn't it? Because when he first came in, everyone was expecting him to have a bit more of an impact in the championship. 
and he did. And then obviously he was probably one that, that benefited most from the lockdown in the three-month break before the championship promotion race resumed. And then he sort of carried that through now because obviously with the, what is it, six or seven-week break, um, or what it felt like, I think it was about six or seven weeks, whatever it was in the end, he's, he sort of carried that momentum through of, of getting into Bielsa's thoughts. And now, given that he's got, given the wing competition that he's got, um, for him to still be getting on and, and looking like he could still make an impact, like he did against Man City, like he did for 10 minutes against Everton or however long he was on for I think you can only say is, is down to him and, and the way that he's sort of come in and, and, and has impacted the squad. Funny lad as well. Um, very likeable character in Pervader. So you want to see him to do well. It would be absolutely fantastic to see him get a goal in the, in the next few weeks. Um, Rodrigo then, does he come back in for this one against Chelsea? I don't know. Can I ask you? You can. Um but I might not know either. Uh. <laughs> Good insight from both of us here. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't. I don't know how Bielsa thinks. Um, whether he thinks that he can he can do similar to Everton, and, and that if Chelsea give Phillips the same amount of space, then I think the overloading on the wings is definitely a, a benefit of that. But obviously, you you don't know what Lampard's going to do because the. The, the 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 one thing that the analysis from I think it was Monday Night Football threw up from Jamie Carragher and Gavin Neville, which was very very good of Calvin Phillips Carragher especially, was that he he was thinking like someone like Tammy Abraham might be able to drop in and as the striker press the defensive midfielder, which is I guess one solution to that issue, um, but it'll take a lot of engine from whoever's leading the line for for Chelsea because. He's going to have to follow Phillips around, basically, when when he doesn't have the ball. So, I don't know what what um, what Bielsa will be thinking. I, I do you change that winning team? It was one of the best performances this year. We've talked about it before, but I mean, Alioski's played sort of in probably the two best best performances this season, hasn't he? Villa and Everton. So, do you change that? I, I don't know. I don't unless injuries force his hand. I wouldn't be surprised to see the same lineup, to be honest. Yeah, I uh, I think I'll probably go with that. I think um, the kind of the defensive effort you get from having Alioski and Harrison on that side, um, I just wonder if that might just tip the balance and keep Alioski in the team. But when you've got Rodrigo on the bench, I mean, what an option that is. And we know that Bielsa is not uh, averse to a half-time change. Um, so, you know, Rodrigo's an option to bring on at any stage, really. And you know that he's going to, he's got that game changing ability. He's not going to be that happy to be on the bench, a player of his caliber. So at some stage, he's going to really want to push his way back into the team. Um, Long term, I can't see him being a, a an option off the bench. I think he's, he's going to be a guaranteed starter. But it's um, it's not a bad position to be in at all when you're 29 million pound man can't get in the team because they're playing so well. Uh, yeah, and one aspect we haven't really touched on is that the longer the second half went nil-nil, the more people were sort of starting to wonder if he was going to put Rodrigo on and, and it kind of just ran and ran and then obviously Leeds scored. But there was definitely a, a sort of 10-minute window before they did score where, people, where well, I, I will just say I was thinking he should probably try and get Rodrigo on now. And then it, 
you know, Rafinha comes up trumps and then he puts him on to waste time and injury time. So I guess that's the belief that Bielsa had that he, you know, they'll create chances, they'll keep creating chances and eventually one of them will go in because they were playing so well that why would you want to change that? But I guess that's the the art of coaching, isn't it? And and it to me, it just makes a bit of a statement as well, not only in the faith he has in the players, but in the faith he has in their conditioning that Ancelotti said after the game, the work of a wing-back is is so heavy that that's why I made those changes. He swapped both his wing-backs and Leeds just kept the same team and kept running, playing at the same tempo. And even in the last minutes of stoppage time, Matthias Click is able to sprint to the corner to put Pickford under pressure so that he has to clear the ball out for a throw-in. Um, the engine on these players is, is something else. I genuinely thought when they came into the Premier League, it wouldn't be as much of an issue for other teams because I felt the Premier League players, they're bound to be, you know, as fit as Leeds United or, or fitter than Leeds United. But I suppose there's different, you have to be fit enough to play your manager's style of football and, and styles vary, but Leeds continue to look fresh, deep in games. And they looked fresher than Everton to me as the game wore on. Uh, and Bielsa just stuck with them, didn't make a change, didn't blink. Ancelotti blinked first and admittedly he had to rescue Iwobi at some stage because he was he was drowning. But um that was that was just an aspect that really struck me that he just stuck with it and ultimately they got their reward and he was proved right. Um let's move on a little bit from from Goodison uh to talk about the FA Cup draw. Um arguably the worst possible draw for Graham Smith. Um, what a, what kind of a draw is it for Leeds United? Probably equally horrible, because it it doesn't like it. Do, there's no benefit, is there? You get beat, it's an embarrassment. You win, everyone expects you to win. There's no there's no like ultimate benefit of playing a, a lower division side away from home. So it's an awful draw. I wanted Marine. I wanted to go back to Marine because I went there with Works Up Town in the Northern Premier League. And remember sitting, I'm not even sure it was a press box. It might have just been a seat in the stand with the laptop on my knee. And the game I was watching wasn't very good, but there was a televised game going on in the living room of a house right beside the ground that I had had a great, had a really great view into their living room and their TV was massive. So I was able to watch that game whenever the workshop game wasn't, um, wasn't keeping my attention. Um, but also it would have just been so good for Marine had they, had they drawn... Leeds United I suppose they'll be happy enough with Spurs and Mourinho but it's not the it's not the one they wanted is it if they're honest what because they didn't get Graham Smith <laughs> no <laughs> they didn't get Marcelo Bielsa John oh, Jens right. sorry I thought you were talking about yourself I thought it was a very no. indulgent story that's all no uh, John John Yems uh, gets Bielsa instead um, bit of a character this one uh, some of his post-match interviews have been on the uh, the abrupt side, shall we say. A um, couple, couple of questions he's not taken too well and uh, and they've gone viral. Um, so, yeah, that'll be an interesting one to see what he has to say after he comes up against Bielsa. You just know as well that Marcelo will have every Crawley game from the past six months on record and be watching them already and that all that he's, pro- he's probably seen but he's probably seen them before the draw he probably yeah. watched them before the draw was made that's his Christmas day sorted just watching <laughs> fully from the past six months yeah 
I don't know. I don't think I think go back to the original question. It's just it, it's what the FA Cup's about, isn't it? And it, it's just a shame for Crawley in particular that they won't have any sort of sort of capacity crowd. Obviously, they're hopeful it'll have some form of a crowd there. But for, if you're looking at it from a very selfish Leeds United um, aspect, it's it's a horrible draw. But hey ho, you don't know how Marcelo might approach it. Maybe it's a chance to see some under 23s players mixed with the first team, like you do with with the development side or you know whatever we don't know how they'll they'll approach it and to be honest there's still there's like five weeks away as well isn't it still so be interesting because obviously there's a very busy festive period before that um where you know there'll be a lot of demand on the players to play every few days sort of from Christmas to New Year so whether he allows that weekend to sort of have a rest for his first team you don't know but yeah just going away from home to a low league team you just get flashbacks of of like Sutton United and Histon and the horrible memories that have have brought um, lower league teams to to Leeds United. But then, at least on the FA Cup draw when it was made, at least we got to see Beckford scoring at Old Trafford. So there we are. Um, the Histon game when the the postman delivered the winner. <laughs> um, did did you cry that day? Because that I think that would have made me cry as a, if I'd have been a Leeds fan. I would have probably cried if I could see the game. It was that wet that the cameras, you literally couldn't see. Like, the camera, the, the, just like, it was on ITV. And as Leeds fans will attest, there was a very funny song sung about ITV that was broadcast to the world, which then had to turn down the microphones. But anyway, that's a different story. Just a hand, like, appeared in front of the camera with a tissue, like, every sort of couple of <laughs> down. But it made it worse. So, like, you were trying to look, you were basically watching it through, like, a goldfish bowl. So, like, the only reason, I think, I can't remember the exact highlights, but I remember I watched the YouTube highlights because it was obviously the anniversary the other day. But, like, the YouTube highlights are just awful and blocky. And you just, like, I just, there must have been some reaction of, like, oh, they've scored, have they? Great, nice one to turn that off. But, I mean, the most recent one's what Newport, and that has bad memories as well. So, just there's just not very good memories for Leeds United playing lower league opposition in the FA Cup, and I think that's why it's probably scarred a lot of fans. The FA Cup just hasn't been very kind in general to Leeds over the last nine years or so. Um, last season was all right because that was kind of it was almost the perfect result. If you're a player at Bielsa, you wouldn't say that, but not adding to their fixture schedule, but also showing Arsenal how it's done for at least. 45 minutes and deserving, probably deserving to go through on the basis of the performance in the in a packed Emirates with you know 8,000 or whatever Leeds fans showing the Arsenal fans up for 90 minutes. Like it was, it was a great occasion, really, really good. Probably one of my fondest uh, occasions covering Leeds United in, in the short time I've been covering the club. Um, it, it's hard to kind of envisage a game at Crawley joining. Joining that, um, un- unless you know it's it's a game where Jan Gelhart or somebody gets a chance and scores a hat trick and, and cements himself a place in first time f- first team football, or Shackleton um, plays an absolute blinder. You know, unless there's like a nice story emerges. Um, the the only real connection I have to Crawley is uh, their striker Ricardo German, Ricky German, who was at Chesterfield when I covered Chesterfield and. Uh, and Danny Wilson gave him his League One debut at the age of 16 or 17. And he looked just like a real raw talent, like strength and pace, scoring goals for the academy side. And it never really worked for him. 
at uh, at first team level, uh, and he eventually ended up getting released and is kind of working his way working his way back, working his way back from League Two Chesterfield with League Two Crawley. Um, so that's the only real connection I have to Crawley and a, a couple of memories of them playing against Chesterfield. But I don't know. It's it's not. You don't want a glamour tie because you're a Premier League club now, so you don't want another Premier League club. Not yet. Um, you don't really want to go away to a side like this. You don't want to travel a long distance. Um, ideally, a draw at home to a club like Marine uh, or Chorley would have been would have been ideal, or a very short trip to Doncaster, or it would have been a nice story if they'd met Huddersfield. Uh, with Bielsa versus Corbin, you know, we could have dined out on that for a day or two. Um, but I, I, I think if I was giving the draw a rating, if I was going to give Robbie Savage a rating, I, I'd probably give him three out of ten. I'd have given him a ten because you couldn't hear him. It was great. <laughs> There's no sound on BBC, so you couldn't hear him. So it was a ten out of ten from me. But I think, yeah, the, in general, the draw wasn't great apart from Marine which obviously everyone's delighted for them because it's guaranteed TV. Mourinho going up to Marine and all that stuff that's on social media, that, that's a fantastic draw. But other than that, it wasn't a fantastic general third-round draw, was it? Everyone's sort of looking at it going a bit meh. Yeah, a Leeds fan tweeted me, um, Mourinho, and uh, <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> I laughed a lot and then tried to explain it uh, to my wife, who, who doesn't like football and has no interest in it. And um, and then I just got really angry that, that she wasn't interested. So um, there's a happy story. There's a happy story for you. Um, so looking ahead to Chelsea, then um, one would hope that Diego Llorente is back and involved in the squad. I, I doubt very much whether he's going to play until he's played 23s football, and the next 23s game is not until next week. Is that right? Um, I think it's even further. It's December 13th. 13th, 13th of December, so it's still a while away. So I'm not sure I can see Urente being involved uh, unless he's played in murder ball today and, and looked pin sharp. Um, one for us to ask Marcelo about um, when we speak to him tomorrow, Thursday. Um, I, as, uh, apart from that, I can't see, I can't see any changes really. Um, maybe only changes to the bench if uh, Shackleton... Um, or Pablo have made it back. Um, Chelsea, then Frank Lampard. I suppose we have to we have to mention him. Um, a lot will be made of, of that, won't it? A lot. Yeah, I think most people will be wondering if he stopped crying yet or not about the whole. <laughs> uh, it'll be, I suppose, the whole. I mean, you know what the national build-up will be, won't it? It'll be. You know, Bielsa meets Lampard again, but it's um, it's a very different beast that Leeds United are playing from Derby to to Chelsea. The money that they've spent this summer, the players that they've brought in, um, you know, Lampard has has got a, a fairly strong team there. So I think Leeds can, you know, obviously not naturally they're going in as, as underdogs, but it'll be it'll be good to see them take it to Chelsea. They've not played Chelsea for a, for a long time now. Obviously, drew them in the cup, I think, but. Other than that, it's been a fair while since they've been to Stamford Bridge. So, um, I think it's a game to really look forward to. And, and I think it's the game, these are the kind of games that Leeds fans will have been looking for straight away when promotion, you know, this one and then that one in a few weeks that we're all looking forward to as well. So, well, Newcastle. 
Well, hopefully if they're out of quarantine, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it's a bad situation, isn't it? For uh, for Newcastle, that the games had to be postponed. But but I'm glad that common sense has prevailed, and that aside that have you know they can't train because Public Health England Northeast suggested that that the best thing to do would be shut down the training ground. They've not kind of been asked to train on a local park or to to gut through it and just put reserve players out. You, you do have to at some point protect the integrity of the competition. Um, and maybe that brings us on to to what Marcelo thinks about some clubs that are in tier two being allowed to have fans in, so London clubs, Liverpool, but not the likes of Leeds because they're in tier three. Um, I find it interesting what he said. He kind of wasn't he wasn't criticising as such. He was just suggesting that maybe this isn't the fairest thing that some clubs that are in tier three are being punished um, because their city's in tier three compared with Chelsea, who are allowed to have fans in in Tier 2. Part of me thinks it's a step back towards normality. And, you know, if we can get some fans in, at least there's some atmosphere. I I don't see Leeds United as a team who will be particularly unduly affected by the presence of 2,000 Chelsea fans in the stadium. In fact, when I've written a little bit in my column about this, I wonder if there are players in the lead squad who might actually get a bit of a kick out of playing in front of a partisan crowd. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, you feel like 2,000 people in what, like a 45,000, 50,000 seat stadium, is it going to really affect you as much as, as a sold-out one? It's naturally, obviously not. So does, does that having that little amount of people in the stadium really cause that much of an unbalance is it it's hard to know isn't it so the only the only way you'll find that out is by games unfolding and, and seeing how it goes because it's not it's still as as great as it's going to be to have some fans back in stadiums this weekend even this week when Arsenal play in the Europa League it's you just don't it's still not back to how it was or or how you know because even at Elm Road if there's 2,000 people there it just wouldn't be anywhere near the same atmosphere would it as as it would for the championship running or, you know, things like that. So it's great that I do think it's a good thing that fans are finally getting back into stadiums because for a long time it's felt a little bit, I don't think anyone's really understood why certain things have been allowed and other things haven't in open air stadiums, et cetera, et cetera. We could go into loads, but I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think it's as much of a, you know, sporting advantage as it would be if the stadium was sold out. But I understand where Bielsa is coming from in terms of the fairness for everyone, you know, regardless of if you're in a tier three um, area or tier two, then you can't go to football. That's the element of unfairness he was talking about. I think a few people did blow that sort of out of proportion. But yeah, I think it can only be a good thing if fans are finally back in grounds because it's a, it's a sort of a nod to where we were before and it's just, it feels like a little bit of a return to some form of normality for all of us. And we are currently expecting something from Leeds United um, in the not too distant future about their uh, thoughts on season tickets and, and what will happen when fans can get back in grounds because the hope is that Leeds will be back in tier two um, long before the end of the season so that some fans will at least get in to watch some games this season 
Um, they did release a, a statement on the members last night, and I think they will be addressing season tickets pretty soon. So we'll we'll wait for that before we discuss that. But I know it's just I, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and they were asking about Elland Road without fans, and um, it's what I've said before. You just don't feel switched on. You don't feel a sense of occasion without fans, um, and as much as I've enjoyed and been intrigued by what Bielsa says to the players during the game and what the players say to each other and what the players say to the opposition, um, I, I would gladly trade that knowledge for all the games I've seen uh, without fans um, with games with fans. Because you think of the atmosphere at Swansea, think of the atmosphere at Anfield, think of the atmosphere... Um, at Villa Park, you know, the Man City game that would have been end-to-end and just an unbelievable atmosphere. And yeah, you could say, oh, it might not have happened like that if there had been a crowd in. Yeah, true. But just imagine those games as they happened with fans and the atmosphere it would have had. It's a, it's a, it's almost a, a stain on this season, really, and an asterisk that needs to be put on all the results that it took place uh, in very abnormal conditions without the very people who make football the emotional game that it is. Uh, so, fingers crossed, uh, and we speak on the day that the Pfizer vaccine has been uh, approved, fingers crossed, it won't be too long before Elland Road is uh, packed again. Because um, I think back very fondly to that Huddersfield game and the Luke Allen goal and the noise when that went in. And and that, that moment is what it's all about. You know, we haven't had that moment since March. And I suppose it might be nearly a full year before we have a moment like that again. Uh, but I can't wait. No, neither can I. And neither can Johnny Alioski, who's been talking about it as well. You know, he, he's basically saying similar to what you've just said about, you know, Leeds are in the Premier League, but they're not really in the Premier League or haven't experienced the Premier League for what it is with Leeds United and, and a full Ellen Road. And, and that's all we hope for, um, however long it takes. Hopefully we get that back there sooner rather than later where, you know, Leeds United are playing a big team at Ellen Road and, and fans can be allowed in and it can be rocking again because I think everyone longs for that day. So, prediction then for Chelsea. Leeds United against Roman Abramovich's Chelsea. What are you saying in terms of a result? <laughs> Roman Abramovich's Chelsea. Sorry, just tickled me. Um, I don't know. I don't really want to back Frank Lampard, so I'm just going to back Marcelo Bielsa. I'm going to say... 3-1 to Leeds. I I can see a 2-2 or a 3-3. Um, I said this last week and it didn't happen and the Leeds defence made a mug out of me with another clean sheet. They've got two in a row. I'll tell you what, a clean sheet at Chelsea would be phenomenal. You, you, you know, if it was 0-0 or 1-0 to Leeds, that would be just about perfect. Just realise we haven't talked about Ilan the Wall Melier, have we? What performance he put in at Evan? Yeah, he. Um, I'm going to revise and say three nil to Leeds, obviously. Because because they've got the wall. What's what's French for <laughs> wall? In, uh, Le Mur, of course, of course, Le Mur. Um, not Le Mur, which is the sea. He's not all at sea. It's Elan Le Mur, Melier. That's that we yeah. have to we have to refer to him as that forever now. That's it sorted. Um, yeah, he's been great, hasn't he? I mean, for a 20-year-old, for a 20-year-old, Joe, he's another one that, that for 5 million, 
Um, I mean, Victor Orta has, uh, feels almost illegal what he's done, getting a player of that quality at that age for, for, for five million. Remarkable business. I hope it's not illegal, because otherwise he'll have to go back, won't he? <laughs> I mean, um, it, yeah, it, it feels illegal. <laughs> not slandering Victor Order on the Inside <laughs> Ellen Road podcast. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that for our lawyers if they're listening. Um, he's he. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we all know about the, the defensive frailties that Leeds United have had in certain games, not all season, because I think that's unfair. They've, they've defended well at times, but they've had a few games where it's just not quite worked out, and. And he's been unlucky at times. But given his age and experience to go into the Premier League and do as well as he's done, pull off saves like he did against Everton, and that you know that save at Sheffield United, everyone knows about. He's been he's been very very good and um, looks to have a very bright future. I still can't believe he can't even get any France under twenty ones team. So it's uh, France must have some un- unbelievable goalkeepers um, coming through because if if the wall can't get in there, then you know. Lemur. Um Thanks very much for joining us. This has been episode ninety. Um, maybe we'll uh, we'll plan something something special and exciting for episode one hundred. Um, to be fair, given our current record, that'll be in about four years, won't it? Yeah, Leeds, Leeds United will be playing in the Champions League by then. Um, you know, I ha- you know, I had the thought this week, genuinely, like if Leeds, if Leeds plan, if Andrea Rodgersani and Victor Orta's plan of, of getting the club keeping the club in the Premier League this season and then pushing on next season and trying to become like a Wolves um, and getting into European football it genuinely opens up the prospect of Glasgow Rangers rekindling their uh, early 90s rivalry with Leeds United in another Battle of Britain how special would that be Joe? I don't think anyone else would care other than you it's all about you isn't it? Me, Mark Hitley, you know, anyone else with a with an interest in both teams? Um, no, the K, the Kmart Roof Derby. That's what it oh, the Kmart Roof Derby. Yeah, it could be by that stage. It could be the Ryan Kent Derby as well because he might have <laughs> uh, he might have finally come down this way. Um, every time I talk, I think about a player transfer. I think about January, and it makes me feel a little bit ill. Um, it's all right. Leeds won't do anything. It's fine. Well, see, yeah, it's, see, the knowledge that Leeds are probably not going to do anything is one thing. That knowledge will not prevent a million questions, will it? And it won't prevent a million pieces elsewhere linking leads with players all over the globe. Yeah, true. The only thing you could see is them going for sort of like a central midfielder or something like that. I, I honestly, at this stage, can only see necessity sending leads to the market. Um, I, I just can't see a scenario where they go and spend a lot of money. Um, and we all know that what Order thinks about the January window. We certainly know what Bielsa thinks about the January window. Um, if the injury situation is similar to what it is now, I don't see it. I think Bielsa feels he has enough cover and options, um, more than sufficient, I think, was the way he termed it earlier in the season. Um, but that's maybe something we'll chat about on another podcast. Thanks, Thanks again for joining us. This has been episode 90, and we'll... Speak to you again next week.